as the kids exit. Turn in your Bibles, in your poop Bibles, to the Gospel of John. The fourth Gospel in the, in the New Testament. We're going to be reading from chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, He must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Arabic, Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This ends the passage of the Bible. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. This time of coming together to to connect with you and to connect with each other. Lord, we pray that this time of praise and worship, of prayer, of of giving and generosity, of listening to your word may shape us and form us more and more into the people you're calling us to be. Lord, I pray that the words which will be spoken next. Lord, may they be your words and not mine. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
This morning we're taking a look at our last broken signpost. We're looking at one that right now you see it happening all over the world. You see power. Power being used in, in different ways. This series has been all about how our faith guides us. It's been broken signposts, pointing us somewhere, pointing us, my prayer has been pointing us to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. Miroslav Volk writes, faith does its most proper work when it sets us on a journey, guides us along the way, and gives meaning to each step we take. When we embrace faith, when God embraces us, we become new creatures, constituted and called to be a part of the people of God. Faith guides us by offering itself as a way of life that indicates paths to be taken and dark alleys or dead-end streets to be avoided and tells us what our specific tasks are in the great story of which we are parts. Now Jesus is on trial before Pilate after being condemned by the Jewish court. Jesus tells Pilate, I'm a king, but that his kingdom's not of this world. And to Pilate and all those listening in, I can just see him shaking their head and going, Really? Jesus' claim sounds weak and foolish. Jesus is in a position of weakness without any signs of power, or at least any visible power. He's at the mercy of others. The Jewish leaders have power over Pilate and over Jesus. The soldiers have power over Jesus. Pilate has power over Jesus. And in their own ways, they force Jesus to bend to their will. And he accepts it. Pilate even has the power of life and death over Jesus. And he ultimately hands Jesus over to death on the cross. Even though he declares Jesus innocent three times. Oh, power is a funny thing. And funny, not ha-ha, but funny, strange. Raises a lot of questions for me anyway. What's power? How should it be used? And if you have power, do you really have to use it? How about God's power and then the power that we have? How does it fit together? How much initiative and responsibility do we take for having and using power? And how how much should we focus on maybe waiting for God to kind of start moving in power? Power is addictive. Many people seek power so they can impose their will on somebody or someone else. 
It's difficult to hold power and stay humble. It can be done, but it's hard. Power is easily abused. We see it, examples of it regularly in places like Middle East, North Korea, Russia, but even in our own country and province. A friend in Quebec City. Oh, he hated Jesus. He hated the church. He had been abused as a child. But he found his way into my, my study. And he talked about how church leaders have lots of power and how they often misused it. It was only after he agreed to sit with me and we studied Jesus, we journeyed through the Gospels. We saw Jesus' power. But we saw how Jesus used his power to serve. How power to Jesus looks like sacrifice. That he was able to accept Jesus again as his Savior and Lord. He was able to trust Jesus. Jesus in our story is mocked with symbols of power. Soldiers twist thorns into a crown and place it on his head. And if you're thinking they just placed it lightly so it wouldn't hurt, you're fooling yourselves. They want to hurt him. They put a purple robe on him. They verbally mock him. Hail, king of the Jews! And then they turn around and slap him in the face. Jesus lives out his own teaching. He doesn't strike back. Turns the other's cheek. They got no clue who they're mocking. They have no clue of the power that Jesus actually holds. See, not all power is visible. Power doesn't always have to be used right away. Self-discipline and wisdom are so important when it comes to power. And this is a story of power. Pilate is threatened by the Jewish leaders who tell him what Jesus has claimed and how this goes against their laws. But when Pilate tries to set him free, they push back hard. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now remember, these are Jewish religious leaders who are saying this. And they have no respect for Caesar. They couldn't give two rips about Caesar. They couldn't stand Caesar. But they use Pilate's past failures at keeping peace in Israel against them because Pilate kept messing up and the Jews kept revolting and Caesar had to keep sending troops there to, to keep people down. And Caesar really was getting a little frustrated, a little angry with Pilate. Jewish leaders knew that. So they threatened Pilate with Caesar. Using the power of Caesar against Pilate. Pilate's afraid. Goes back to Jesus and he asks Jesus, where do you come from? Jesus gives him no answer. 
Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you? And, and that's where Jesus, he just says, you know what? You got no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. And he ain't talking about Caesar. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So now he's pointing to the Jewish leaders. Jesus challenges Pilate's power and where it actually comes from. Points Pilate to God, his father, not to Caesar, not to the Jewish leaders, but to Jesus' father. Because there's a lot of power, a lot of power plays going on here. N.T. Wright reflects on how we are given power by God all the way back at creation. Human beings are given power in the very first page of the Bible. In Genesis 1, various features of this newly made world, vegetation, birds, and animals, are given instructions to multiply, to flourish, and to get on with being themselves and with propagating their own species. When human beings are made, however... There's an extra dimension. Humans, too, are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. But they're given an extra awesome and responsible vocation to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Power, in other words, comes from God and is given to human beings. And this power is to be used to help creation flourish, including each other. It helps us as we use power in that way to get to know God more deeply through that book of creation as the Belgic Confession describes it. Because as we, as we discover the potential that is placed within the, the creation, as we develop you know, all that potential, we get to see a, a marvelous, creative, artistic God who, who fits everything so well together and, and we get all those glimpses of who he is in that way. But we're also used, we're called to use that power to imitate God who's a generous God who pours out his love to his people. Even showing love through the giving of gifts to those who don't believe in him something we call common grace. God shares his power with his people. He chooses to work through broken, fallen, weak humans, and even becomes human and uses his power to die so that we can have eternal life. See, we're God's ambassadors to creation, stewards over his creation, called to serve God's desire and plans for his creation. 
whether it's over the creatures of the sea or the land or the air or even over the land and the things of the land. It's a huge responsibility. But it's a sign of God's trust in us to use the power that he's given us to bring glory to him and not ourselves. It's meant to be humbling and uplifting both at that same time. So how are we to use this power that God's given us? Well, when we look closely at Jesus' life, as I did with Pierre, one of the things that jumps out to me is how Jesus connects the use of power with humility, with grace, with servanthood, with compassion, with justice in powerful ways. You never see Jesus use his power for himself. Jesus makes his use, his position on the use of power clear in Matthew 20. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul gets it. He gets it as, as he writes in his second letter to the church in Corinth. But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. And this is why we need to talk about power. This is why followers of Jesus and the church as a whole need to be aware of the dangers of how power can be used in hurtful ways and, and how power quickly corrupts people. I was trying to remember that the cliche that something about absolute power corrupts absolutely. But it's even more than that. Power tends to corrupt, even if it's not absolutely. So often, it gets used in hurtful ways. History, including Bible and church history, gives us countless examples of power wrongly used. How power was too often used for personal advantage. How it was used to get what I want rather than what's best for everyone else. Where it's about me being boss, rather than caring about what's the best for others. So that's why we celebrated Remembrance Day yesterday. See, men and women in our past and today recognize abuse of power, fought against it, sacrificing their lives for us, Sacrificing their lives for people they may never meet, will never meet. For people who aren't even born yet. But David and Solomon, two great biblical figures, are two examples of how even godly men, blessed by God, use power in dangerous and self-serving ways that led to deep hurt and brokenness. Power is addictive. It changes us. 
What does it look like to use the power you have in a way that's healthy and blesses rather than hurts? King David learned. He gives us a good picture of what a healthy use of power looks like in Psalm 72. David asked for power to bring justice, especially for those who are afflicted or in distress. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush crush the oppressor. And he goes on in the psalm to recognize that his role as a king is there to be a deliverer. Someone who places the needs of people ahead of himself. Who looks to God's example of what it looks like to be the protector of the people. For he will deliver the needy who cry out. The afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. The king serves his people. Just as Jesus does. Leadership and power. They're for serving and for sacrifice. Just before Jesus' death, just after his disciples argue about who's going to be on his right and left positions of power, Jesus gives them a living parable of how they're to use the power he's going to give them as his disciples. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Leaders and people with power really wrestle with this image. Because we live in a culture and a society that says, gratify your desires. Use the power that you've been given to advance your views and your place and your position. So that you can do and have what you want and not have to listen to somebody else. And now Jesus says, as a leader, get on your knees and do the most humblest things that you can think of to bless someone else. It's not about you. It's about God and the other. Matthew Bridges writes, because Jesus humbled himself, Because he endured the humiliation of the cross, including the crown of thorns. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. For Jesus, the path to glory as King of Kings included the path of disgrace. Because he wore the crown of thorns, Jesus would receive the crown of universal worship. Jesus uses his power as God and as creator of the universe to save us from our slavery to sin and the oppression our sin puts us under. Jesus frees us by coming to serve instead of ruling. And because of his humility and obedience to God, God's not made him king of kings. And he gives us power. But he calls us to look into our church family, into our community. And to see and keep our ears and hearts and eyes open for those who are in oppression, those who are hurting in distress. Saying, how can we use our power to be a blessing? To make those kinds of changes. It may even cost us. But that's part of that sacrifice of power. In Jesus, we see a kingdom shaped by humility, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and sacrificial love. A completely upside-down kind of power designed to change people's hearts and relationships with God and each other. Type of power that keeps pointing us, that keeps guiding us to God. How are you going to use your power? Amen. Father, we thank you thank you for the gift of power to be able to walk alongside to bless and to be a blessing to help those who are in distress those who are oppressed those who are hurting to find healing and hope and flourishing Lord help us to always keep our eyes on your son Help us to be a people regularly on our knees, using our power to serve. And Lord, may our service be a blessing to many, bring glory to you, and help others to see who you are as God, who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior, and welcome the Holy Spirit into their hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.